Welcome to Mosaic this evening. Let's stand together. And welcome to you online as well. Let's sing this together. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness. New every morning. Our sins they are many. But His mercy Praise the Lord. 
We worship you in this place tonight. Thank you for sending your son for us to be our hope, to be our peace. God, tune our hearts toward you tonight. We love you. We ask this in your name. During the month of October, we are calling the people of fellowship to commit to daily focused prayer for our nation. I don't have to tell you how deeply our wounded country needs prayer right now. It seems we've never been more divided and an election looms on the horizon. It's easy to lose sight of the fact that God is in control. To help you in this commitment, our senior leadership team has written prayers to help guide you through daily intercession for our country. These prayers are in no way exhaustive, but only a prompting to help guide you in ways to pray. To subscribe, visit the link shown on the screen. If you're already signed up for our Advent and Easter devotionals, you will automatically receive the daily prayers via email and no further action is necessary. Please spend time interceding for our nation and leaders each day as you lift your praises and prayers to God. Then allow Him to use you as an instrument of His peace. We must do all we can to allow the love of Jesus to flow through us into the hearts and lives of others. He is the only one who can bring healing and hope to our nation during these difficult days. Let it be known that the people of Fellowship Bible Church of Northwest Arkansas believe in the power of prayer and the sovereignty of our God. Amen. I don't know about y'all. I'm really grateful for Mickey Rapier. He's a good guy. Well, hi, my name's Colin. How are you tonight, Mosaic? Hey, here we go. Online. Everyone give online a shout real quick. Good to see you, friends. We love you. Uh, hey, as Mickey said, we would love to invite you to join us in praying in October. Now, hopefully, as apprentices of Jesus, we're, we're pretty reg regularly, rhythmically praying to him. But we'd love, even just as a church body, um, to come to the throne together in prayer and, and intercession for a lot of different things. One that are even just happening in this room. Uh, we like to say all are broken here and that all matter. And, and there's a lot of just pain and brokenness even within our own lives and hearts that needs prayer, as well as even in the greater Northwest Arkansas, United States, and world. Uh, there's a lot of ways we could join um, in seeing the heart and mission of Jesus uh, be made known. So if you would, please join us, sign up with us, and uh, let's spend October gather around a few specific prayer points together. I think it'd be good for us. Uh, we are in the book of First Thessalonians, and so uh, hopefully you have a Bible tonight. We'll be going there in a little while with Matt, but I've been so encouraged already where we've been and even tonight where we're going. And uh, one of the things Matt's going to be emphasizing in our time as we step into First Thessalonians chapter 2 is discipleship. And not necessarily what is discipleship, but who are you discipling? And that opportunity to join Jesus, inviting others to his feet. Uh, I have just, as I soak in and through the Gospels recently, I have just been amazed at the people who come to the feet of Jesus. It just seems like everything starts to, to truly make sense for them. And uh, so we're really excited as we step in tonight. And I was having a conversation uh, this past Thursday, we did a, a lunch just to talk about the gospel in Northwest Arkansas. 
evangelism, what works, what doesn't, what are you struggling with, uh, what are you finding, whether it's in your family, in your home, in your workplace, in our community, what are some of the struggles you're facing, and, and a really faithful apprentice to Jesus, a guy I want to hang out with more, Roy Duncombe, he said this, he said that if we as the church are not serious about getting folks into a relationship with Jesus, we have missed the boat. Ooh. Let me say it again in case you missed it. If we as the church are not serious about getting folks into a relationship with Jesus, we have missed the boat. And so tonight, I would love if every single one of us could leave this place inspired by the word of God to go make disciples. Oh, what a joy it is to be a disciple and then to invite others into that process. And we actually have an opportunity as a church to do that tonight because we have a lot of little ones in this room. And so, hey, kids, where are you at? Let me hear you. Hello, we're so glad you're here. Well, friends, if you wouldn't mind, let's go ahead and stand. And I love the way that Paul says it in Ephesians 5. He says that as we gathered to be filled with the Spirit, singing songs and spiritual hymns over one another, that we could give thanks to God and family, whether or not you knew it, this actually is an opportunity for our own spiritual formation. This is a spiritual discipline of gathering and singing, and not just singing for us and God, but actually singing these songs over one another. And so if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to invite you, would you just take a second to look around the room? Maybe who's standing next to you? Maybe who you came with? Maybe who's behind you? You can give a little wave if you want to. Social distance, please. <laughs> and what I'd love for you to do is as we enter into this time of spiritual formation, of singing these songs to Jesus, would you be singing them over your heart, but would you sing them over those around you as well? we could leave this place more in love with Jesus and encouraged by his spirit. And so what I'd love to do, friends, if you would, please, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Divine master and friend, Jesus, thank you. Oh, what a grace and a gift it is even to take this breath. And Lord, I pray in this time as we come together, be it online or in this room, Lord, would you open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to what you're doing, not just in our lives, but in the lives of our brothers and sisters as well. And Jesus, could we leave this place with affection stirred for you and one another to go and see disciples of the nations made. It's in your beautiful and precious name that we now sing over one another. Amen. Let's join our voices together in reading this scripture as one. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted head over all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome 
wonder, consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. My soul, my Savior, comes to me. How great Thou art! How great Thou art! Then sings my soul, my Savior, comes to me. How great Thou art! How great Thou art!
the king of We believe you mean what you say. You say never will you leave. 
forever and you forsake us. We believe that. Oh, Lord, let us be that generation. Let us be your people who follow you. We trust and believe you. Your word is true. We believe that you say you will darkness, whether shadow, whether storms, we see you, we trust you. Well, my friends, I want to start our time with just a Let's call it a million-dollar question. I bet this question gets a lot of press in your life. Here it is. Why do you think God is calling you to? What do you think is God's calling on your life? Now, I bet in this room, if we somehow were able to get the analytics on it, I bet that there's been more journal entries, more counseling appointments, more tears shed, more all-out panic attacks over this one question that really could be said in a lot of ways. What's your purpose for your life? Maybe as simple as what's next? And I don't care if you're applying to maybe go into college, you're graduating college looking for what's next. You're 32 years old wondering if this is going to be the rest of my life. You're 41 and a half years old in an absolute crisis state of nothing is working. Or you're in that beautiful legacy phase, maybe about to retire, asking the question, what is the final lap, God? What is God calling you to? And I think all the adults in the room would agree, we could learn a lot from the kids that are in the room. Kids, where are you at again? I heard you scream or shout once. Yeah, yeah. Now get this, kiddos. I, too, was 10 years old once. In fact, I brought a picture of myself when I was 10 years old right here. I don't remember one, thank you for that, by the way. That was very kind and empathetic. I don't remember one time in my life as a 10-year-old struggling, stressing, panicking over what my calling is. In fact, if you sat down with me and you said, Matt, on this day up in Wisconsin, what is your calling? First off, I would have no clue what you're talking about. Secondly, I would have put my jacket with the hot fur collar on, put my skinny jeans on before skinny was even cool, with the built-in air conditioning on the knee, I would have hopped on my tornado bike. And get this, kids, you're not going to believe this. When we were your age, our parents would say something like, just be home before it gets dark. And my calling, my purpose was quite simple. It was to get to Kmart where they sold the 50-cent slushies, have an extra large one of them, 
and then walk next door to Big Lots where with my chore money I would try to save enough money to make my own homemade weapons. And that, my friends, was my day. I never thought about past tense what was. I don't remember once fretting about what was coming. I had a single-minded, a single devoted calling. So kids, we could learn so much from you. Now, wouldn't it be something if there was a paragraph in the Bible that made clear our calling, that validated all of those hardships we feel, and even gave us some practical steps to get there? Would anybody be interested in a paragraph like that? That would be something. Boy, that would be something. And now that I've served you up a steaming hot bowl of foreshadowing, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. And we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. The place we are in this book, we come out of a beautiful introduction of evangelism with phrases like the gospel of God ringing forth, echoing forth off the corners of culture. And now we're going to move into a chapter that really invests in what does it mean, personal apprenticeship of Jesus. What does it look like to be invited into a calling of making disciples alongside of Jesus? And I'm going to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Here we go. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become so very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. And here it is, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And I'd like to start at that place that Paul concludes. 
Because he makes a closing statement. A statement of what the Thessalonians are called to, what we are called to. Called into his kingdom, into his glory. Notice it's not uh, called or will call, but is a present tense calls. The past and the future aspects of salvation certainly are true to Paul, but here and now, Paul is highlighting the now. This is what right now you and I how we are called to live. And we're reminded that we're calling into his own. And his own, it's a place and it's a person, a kingdom, a real place where he rules right now. And his glory, his personal presence, his personal worth. So let's just drop one layer down on both of those and really understand. Because when we walk out of the room and somebody asks you, what did that big tall guy teach on tonight? I don't want you to say, man, something about calling, but I don't know what else. Maybe we could walk out with even a bit of affirmation. What he is calling us into and how we would live that out. That's my goal. So his kingdom. We're called into his kingdom. Right now, our present reality is there is two very present kingdoms. One earthly, one eternal. Both with rulers, both with realms. The values of one that is defined so much how we think, how we shop, how we parent, how we work, how we're encouraged to speak up. And then an upside down kingdom in which an approach to a very real yet spiritual way of seeing the world. A kingdom of God. And this kingdom is God's upside-down kingdom that honors all life as sacred, that holds age and gender and ethnicity as equality and beauty, sexuality as a gift from God to act as a divine portrait of God. And we are called to see beyond the, the sensory instincts of what's in front of us to see this spiritual kingdom called to enter that place, to be alongside that person. Called into his kingdom, and then we're called into his glory. When I think of glory, I like to think of this little rhyming phrase, the essence of his presence. The essence of his presence. You know, back in the days of the Exodus, nobody would come out of their tent, give a good morning yawn, and walk over to their neighbor and say, hey, where's God's glory? Because everybody would be able to point where the essence of of his presence was. It resided on the tabernacle over the Holy of Holies. But because of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, ushering in the new covenant, writing the essence of his presence on our hearts, because of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we get to live out the taste, the beauty, the majesty, the harmony, the oneness, all wrapped into what Jesus accomplished on the cross. That Emmanuel, God with us, in us now. So to summarize kingdom and glory, here's a little phrase I want you to repeat. Sent in. Good job, let's do it now that, now that we all have our cue. Ready? Sent in while set apart. 
sent in while set apart. We are sent into the world while we are set apart from the world, permeating God's presence. And that's the closure. And friends, I really think that's what you and I are called to. So why do I not now close in prayer and just call it a day? Well, it's because the place that the paragraph starts is, I think, a place that so many of us often feel. He makes this statement, I didn't come to you in vain. This question of, did I waste my life? Did I waste my time? Are people vain? Are people a waste of time? Is spiritual formation and devotion, is it a waste of time? Is crisis? Because that's where he immediately goes. He refers back to a story from Acts where he and his pals were wrongfully imprisoned in Philippi because he cast a demon out of a little girl. And he ruined the business entrepreneur's dreams for making money. And so he is, as a Roman citizen, wrongly imprisoned, wrongly abused. Was that a waste? Was that in vain? Was it a waste of time? How about you? The person you've invested in. The rhythms, the patterns of devotion you've given your life to. Even the crisis that you're currently in. Is God in control or is it a big waste? I think that word vain is an interesting one. You know, it's the same word that the, that the writer of Luke in chapter 20 when he's talking about the parable. The parable goes like this. There's a man who bought a field and put tenants in charge of it. And when he sent a servant to go get some of the produce from the field, the tenants beat him and sent him back. And the word is empty-handed. And the same Greek translation for empty-handed is the word vain. And how many of us have walked into your kitchen after a long day, a long day of listening and connecting, a long day of considering what does it mean to follow Jesus? And the very body language we use was, is it worth it? Was it a waste? We feel empty-handed. We feel in vain. And yet the Bible knows us even better than we know ourselves. Even more than we read it, it reads us, doesn't it? So what Paul says is he gives some fillers of what it doesn't mean. He says this calling into his kingdom, into his glory, he says this is not how we did it. And he actually has a long list, which by the way, if he's going to be this articulate with what it's not, I have to believe that these are very real threats. These things have the tendency of sneaking in and being our reality. So he says we didn't come to you in error. We didn't come to you in impurity. We didn't come with an attempt to deceive We didn't come not to please men or with flattery or with a pretext for greed. He says we didn't, this is interesting, we didn't seek glory from you or others. And as you're hearing that, it should put up the little Bible student's radar in your head. Wait, we've heard that word. 
We've heard that word glory, the essence of his presence. And what we see is that we're pretty rotten people. I mean, can you imagine that the whole idea of following Jesus, that we would do it for our own gain? That we would put on a mask with some sense of greed, some sense of flattery, of people pleasing, so that we receive somehow, and that the essence of our presence, our glory, is made known? Boy, we're nasty. And I bet that stings, just like it stings me a little bit. Because we've all been caught in that place. And friends, this is, it's a reminder because this is the narrative of sin. This is not new from Jeremiah 2 to Romans 1. We have been taking glory and we've been exchanging it. From Eve's bite of the apple to my day today. We've been taking the glory of God, the essence of his presence, and we've been exchanging it in for that which will never satisfy, that which will never benefit us by making ourselves the heroes of the story, stealing the glory rather than living in to the kingdom and glory of God. So I want you to just kind of like slow your pulse and marinate on kind of the projection of what Paul is leading us to here. Even using the identity words that Mosaic just reflects on who we are so often. That God would take that vainness or that brokenness in us. And yet, and that's a huge and yet, because we matter to him, he makes us, he writes us into the story. So that glory would be rightly appointed to him. Not glory stolen for us, but all are broken and all matter and only one gets the glory. Paul wrote it way before we any, ever put it up on our big screen behind us. So he tells us how not to do it, how not to live into the calling of the kingdom and the glory, but then he turns a corn, corner and gives us a little grace gift and he gives us two just ripe metaphors telling us this is what it's like. This is what it like, looks like to give your life to a calling of kingdom and glory. And the two metaphors are a nursing mother and a father with his children. And both are worth talking about. So the first one in verse 7. He says, like a nursing mother. It's the ultimate image of a protector and a provider. And he comes out of the gate with this important word. He says, we were gentle among you. Now as you're reading that for yourselves, that, does your highlighter hit gentle? Or you're like, yeah, gentle, that's great. The primary word outside of, uh, to start this metaphor is that we were gentle. And I think it's an important word. Because the one place in the New Testament where Jesus describes his heart, now time and time again, he talks about drawing our hearts yearning for our hearts, examining our hearts, earlier testing our hearts. But the one place where he describes his heart in Matthew 11, in that famous passage, come to me, all of you who are tired and broken and weary, I'll give rest for your souls. Do you remember what he says about his heart? That his heart is gentle and it's lowly or accessible. So what Paul says is like a nursing mother, 
like the very face and hands and compassionate heart of Jesus, we just did what he did to us and we were gentle with you. We were accessible to you. We came to you because you were so dear to us. And then he just says this remarkable phrase or sentence in verse eight. He says, we didn't only give you the gospel. We gave you our very lives. It was even more than just an articulated or a memorized gospel message. And by the way, that's really important. It was a gospel lifestyle that they had been changed by. And now that they were going to change too, they were going to give them their very lives. Yesterday, I had the coolest opportunity. Uh, one of our dear friends got to graduate from a really important uh, scholastic program. And we're so proud of her. And I got to go to a big pavilion. Her husband, like, just like, I mean, one in a million, just kind of hit it out of the park. You know, nobody expected much, but he came up big. And family came in town, and friends came in town, and flu food was flowing. It was so much fun. And I had this thought in this moment, walking in, going, okay, now who are family and who are friends? And even when I asked, nobody really clarified for it, me, me with it. They're just like, yeah, yeah, we're all, all of that. And then community group members, their disciple-making community that has been with them in the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, you could see the fruit of not just really good Bible studies. And by the way, I bet this disciple-making community has had some incredible times where they open up God's word and it's shaped them, it's made them one, it's called them to be sent. I bet they've declared the gospel over each other. But you know what, as we were there just eating bratwurst, throwing footballs, giving our congratulations, loving each other well, it was so evident that this community had given each other their very lives. There was no question that the genuineness, the pureness of love was both given and received in this community. They were displaying what Paul is using as a metaphor, like a nursing mother protecting and providing for each other. But that's not the only metaphor. There's a second metaphor. He's also like a father with his children. This week I had a discipleship appointment with, with a guy that I've been meeting with almost 10 years now. I love him. He's a dear friend. He's like a brother or even like a son to me. And like we've been doing for about a year now, we've been taking his current things, his struggles, his issues, his hurts, habits, and hang-ups, and we've, we've, we've tried to find the root system, not just dealing with the, the end kind of symptoms, but what are the roots? And we've traced our way all the way back to when he was five years old. And he said this statement that caught my ear, and I think it's because I was really meditating on this text. He said, since I was five, I was taught that I'm not worth anything. And so he's lived his whole life to gain worth through sports. His whole life gaining worth through being valedictorian or getting the best job. His whole worth on what he could achieve. And those were messages planted when he was five years old. And I was so grateful to God for the grace, gift, and the timing of being to go, hey, let's open up to 1 Thessalonians 2. And read the fact 
that like a father, that they exhorted, they encouraged, and they encharged him to one thing. It was to live a life in a manner worthy. Worthy of God. And let's not fall into the same mistake that he did. Let's not go, oh man, I'm not living a life worthy of God. My life is worth nothing because I make so many mistakes. That actually limits the manner of worthiness of God. Because God loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to be our worth. That when he looks at us, he sees that sacrifice that Jesus did on the cross. That blood that is our covering. And just so that it gives us some examples of how, the practical how, of how do we live it out. Listen to what he says. We did three things. That you would get this worth. We exhorted you, encouraged you, and charged you. Don't fall into that trap that these are just the same words. Sometimes they're interchangeable, but I don't think that Paul would have said, so we encouraged you, encouraged you, encouraged you. They're different words. That word exhorted, it's the same word used in 1 Corinthians 2, that God is a God of comfort. It is the ultimate compassion, the ultimate empathy to actually step into one's mess with them, to join them in the pain. We exhorted you. And then we encouraged you. We encouraged you. That wonderful new Disney movie you can only get on Disney Plus, Mulan, the live version. Anybody see it yet? It's 30 bucks. Worth it? That's another sermon. But there's a line in there that the dad teaches Mulan that courage is needed where fear exists. Write it down. Courage is needed where fear exists. And that is encouragement to see the fear you step in through exhortation you see the fear and you enter in the courage you bring the courage to meet the fear they exhorted they encouraged and they charged almost every single other time in the new testament that this word for charged is used it's the word testify it means to declare with authority i have walked with god now i bear witness through words of God. These are not light words chosen to declare the worth of living a life in the manner of following Jesus, being apprentice of Jesus. No, when we stray, when we go after our own glory, our own fear, our own greed, a father with his children resets back to true north and says, no, I exhort you, I encourage you, and I charge you that to God, you are worth it. You can't earn it, people. We may only humble ourselves to the gospel that God saves sinners through Jesus and believe that that is the message for our lives. And if you think that's easy, if you think you're just gonna pull out your little day planner and start putting some appointments in, Don't forget that he says, verse 9, to this end, we labored, we toiled, we worked night, and we worked day to proclaim and live the gospel to you. Hey, I have a closing question I want to leave with you. I want you to think about it, journal about it, pray about it. And it's not a what question, it's a who question. Not what. 
regarding discipleship, but who? You see, a lot of times I think we get caught in the weeds of the what. We ask what questions like, well, it's never been done to me, so what would I do? Or we say things like, well, what would I study? Or if they ask this really hard question about like apologetics or end times or certain sins, we're like, what would I say? Did you see anything in the two metaphors about what? No, they were all who answers. And so I want you to first think, who has this been in your life? Who's been that person that's been gentle? That person that's cared so dearly for you, that has given you literally their very life. And that when you have gotten off a little bit or when you've started to exchange his glory for your glory and and gone that way, that you've been exhorted and encouraged and charged, reminded your worth is not in what you do. Your worth is in God alone. Who's been that person in your life and humbly received the blessing, the charge, and the calling that you are invited into be that to somebody else's life? your family members, your neighbors, the people in your community, the people in your church? Who is a name and who is a face? And I'd actually like you to try to name them. Name that person. Close your eyes if you need. Let God impress upon you. God, who would you have me be? Like a nursing mother, gentle to. Like a father with his children, exhorting, encouraging, and charging. And God, when it seems like there's no way I have time for this, that we would realize that we live in a kingdom of God for his kingdom, for his glory, and that we have to trust that that's our calling, that he's gonna make available the opportunities. So Lord Jesus, as those faces come to mind, would you just not let us sleep at night in the best of ways, yearning for the wisdom and the next steps of how do we join this journey with you of making disciples? apprenticing Jesus, walking in a manner worthy of God. We love you, O Lord, our strength. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. My uh, five-year-old and I were watching a documentary on Discovery the other night, and it was these animals. Uh, And it came to a point where there were these otters. And these little otters, did you know that when otters cross a river together, they actually hold hands? It's the cutest thing you've ever seen. And they do it so that as the, as the stream gets higher and the rapids get stronger, they don't drift away from one another and they stay connected. And I don't know if you're in a season where you need someone to reach a hand out <laughs> and you need some gentleness and some exhorting and challenging. Friends, uh, that is a disciple-making community. Uh, see, what we do in this space is we come together, we sing these songs, we gather under the word. It matters so much for our souls and our hearts and our minds, but it is a small sliver of what we do as a church. So if you are not plugged in with a group, a community of people, students, if you don't have a cell group right now and you're just trying to do this school thing alone, whew, reach out. Let's get you connected so that you can be, have someone in your life who's gentle and exhorting you like a mother and father, as Paul described. Or maybe you're at a season and you're a leader, and it is time to launch a group, and you have some ideas God has been instilling into your heart. I really want to start this. Let's talk, because our body in Northwest Arkansas needs it.
So, hey, family, uh, just to remind you uh, on offering, uh, if you feel led to give, we don't pass plates anymore. Sorry, COVID messed that up. Uh, so we have some plates outside women's bathroom, men's bathroom, as well as outside uh, the doors um, on the exterior. So if you feel led to give, you're welcome to. But as we dismiss, friends, would you please stand with us? And receive now the word of the Lord as Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica. Now may the God of peace sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord. He who calls you, he's faithful. And he comes through on his promises. Family, we love you. Thank you for tuning in online. Uh, if you're watching, we miss you. We'll see you soon. Hey, if you're new, uh, please, right there. We'd love to connect with you. Family, you're dismissed. If you wouldn't mind exiting out the exterior doors, grace and peace to you, Mosaic.